Good morning. You're very welcome to this year active debate supported by Life Terra. We're talking about forest restoration and tree planting today and asking the question what will be the impact for climate change mitigation? Now, the EU has, of course, adopted some very ambitious targets, including a pledge to cut carbon emissions by at least 55% by 2030 compared with 1990 levels. But globally, forests make a huge impact on our lives. They are the lungs, the life support system of the planet, covering about 30% of the Earth's land area, but they host 80% of its biodiversity. So forests and other woodland land cover about 40% of Europe, so we are one of the most forest-rich regions in the world. So there's an opportunity not to be missed. Planting billions of trees across the world is one of the cheapest ways of taking CO2 out of the atmosphere and to tackle climate change. But of course, there are other benefits as well, not least managing our health and well-being through water regulation, through the provision of food, medicines, soil stabilization and air and water purification. So many, many issues here on the agenda. I know there's a lot to talk about, but we are going to focus on climate change mitigation. We have a wide panel for you, so I will go straight to that without further ado. You have great to join us there. Thank you all very much. We have starting with Umberto Delgado Rosa, who is the director of natural capital at DG Envy, the environment department in the European Commission. Oslem Yildirim is the confederal advisor to the General Confederation of Labour at the EESC. Jutte Jutland, MEP, is a member of the Environment Committee at the European Parliament, as is Vile Ninisto, also is also a member of the ITRA Committee as well in the European Parliament. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we have Sergi Moroz, who is a policy manager on water and biodiversity at the European Environmental Bureau. Hélène Koch is policy advisor at the Confederation of European Forest Owners. And last but not least, Sven Kallen is the founder and secretary of the Life Terra Foundation, one of our supporters here today. So we're going to talk to you a lot about this whole area. But first, I'm going to give each of you an opportunity to, if you like, set out your position. Tell us a bit about the work you're doing and maybe your answer to that overall arching question, what we think reforestation and tree planting might be able to do in terms of climate change mitigation here in Europe. Umberto, let me start with you. The floor is yours. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, I would say that we definitely need more trees, not because they are the panacea or an alternative to reducing emissions, but we should not forget that we do have a wonderful technology to remove CO2 from the atmosphere, which is called photosynthesis. And some of the machines that do it self-reproduce, including trees. So we definitely need them in spite of us having a lot of forests. We know in Europe, many of our forests are not in a good shape. They are facing many threats. Just look to these forest fires of this summer to have an idea. So we do have this aim for tree planting, extra, uh, an extra 3 billion trees to be planted, the right tree in the right place for the right purpose. Indeed, planting a tree is not necessarily good for climate or biodiversity. It depends on where you plant it. And for instance, to plant trees over peatland, let's say, that will bring no benefit on this. Adding to this, I would say that um, tree planting is not also an alternative to natural regeneration, which is even the best approach. When we speak of restoration of forests, we can have passive restoration, where we leave the forest to regenerate alone. We can have active uh, restoration, where we actively plant trees, or a mix where we just help 
the regeneration, also with some adequate tree planting. So in essence, I do think there's a big role for trees and forests in climate change mitigation together with biodiversity and socioeconomic benefits. Thank you very much. Uslam, let me come to you next just for your opening thoughts. I know as a trade unionist, you're very interested in this idea of greener Europe. Good morning. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for inviting EESC. Um, uh, as a trade unionist, to begin, I would share. I would like to share with you some uh, general comments uh, on social uh, perspective of uh, climate change mitigation. Um, we welcome uh, European ambition to achieve climate uh, neutrality by 2015, but we should uh, keep in mind that making a greener uh, Europe creates uh, many opportunities, but also many challenges for our workers and for our industries. And a greener Europe uh, should also mean uh, a more social Europe. Uh, no worker should be left behind. And it must be assured uh, that all workers uh, and citizens are entitled uh, to decent wage, uh, proper working condition and training and adequate social protection uh, with a particular attention to uh, the low skilled workers, uh, women, migrants, uh, youngsters and uh, older workers. Uh, it's also very important to involve uh, social partners, of course. And uh, last but not least, um, a, a fair and a, a fair and sustainable transition uh, should be guaranteed. The shift to the circular uh, economy should not pose a social uh, justice problem for workers, uh, in particular uh, for macro and small enterprises. Thank you. Thank you very much, Islam. Let me turn now to our guest from the European Parliament. Uh, Yitza, let's hear from you first on what's going on in the MV Committee with regard to this. Thank you, Jennifer, and uh, thank you for uh, letting me participate in this interesting and uh, timely debate. Um, I would like to, to start to say that um, my, my main uh, experience is, of course, the negotiation with the climate law. Uh, and uh, part of uh, the target that we set that is very ambitious for 2030 uh, contains also a, a sink. Uh, and uh, that carbon sink, of course, uh, forests play a very important role in, in that sense. Um, I also would like to start by saying that I find it historic that the uh, Commission is uh, launching this uh, Fit for 55 package with many ambitious proposals. Uh, of course, we from the Parliament and offshore uh, the progressive groups uh, would like to see even more, but it is something, it is a transition that is happening and uh, it is uh, big what also the Commission is launching. Um, <clears throat> all that said, I believe that forest is um, one of the uh, keys uh, to, to uh, preserve uh, uh, healthy earth. <clears throat> forest together with the sea is uh, is one of the lungs uh, so it's the green lung of our planet and uh, this <clears throat> lung is so important both as mentioned in this introduction because of the photosynthesia 
but it's also uh, of course important because um, it will also give life to uh, the the products that can help us overcome the global heating by substitute fossil products that uh, is used today and continue to be used uh, also in the future if we don't change the way we we um, do our production and consume uh, so I would like to have that dimension also in my introduction that I see that the forest play both the role of being a sink and uh, there uh, planting trees is, is one of the important tools, but it is also uh, important to substitute um, many of the fossil fuel materials that we have today. And then some people might say, but that's a contradictory. Uh, I don't think so. If we look at uh, uh, different uh, forest management, we can see that we have uh, also models that is working better in the sense that they both mean that we plant trees and also use uh, the forest that doesn't capture the CO2 emissions as much anymore. That is very long, uh, old uh, in the life cycle. Uh, that can be used also for materials that will continue to live for a very long time in the future and that will also res um, mean that the, the CO2 will be captured in buildings, in materials. So I really see that the forest is, uh, should be used in both that sense. Um, I would like to say that we have a huge uh, problem in front of us uh, also. I don't want to end up being negative, but uh, <clears throat> we see now that we have uh, two thirds of a soccer field is um, at this moment uh, uh, disappear every second in the world. Of course, what we see in the Amazons is the, the greatest uh, challenge uh, that we have for the forest. And it's also so extremely negative for the biodiversity. So we need to change the way we uh, also consume there and exp exploit uh, the nature and also the people uh, living in, in, in the Amazonas. Uh, and um, that said, I think uh, it is extremely important that we take a more sustainable forest strategy and also that we have better mechanism to make sure that we don't uh, con uh, continue this deforestation around the world. And of course, then we need also to have sustainable models in our own Europe. And um, I don't want to end up uh, too negative, but we see at this moment that Europe is not going in the in the right direction. We see that uh, we actually have less of a sink um, uh, today and uh, we don't plant enough trees. And it, uh, we also had many problems with forest fires, with also um, uh, insects and other things that destroyed forests that is there. So it's not very easy to say that the um, this um, sink should compensate for reductions. So I would like to end by saying that I think we need to see that we cannot substitute uh, reductions by having this uh, carbon sink where we put our hopes in the forest and that doesn't mean that we should not have uh, ambition for uh, what we would like to accomplish with the forest but it shall not be the substitute and sometimes I'm afraid in the debate 
uh, also from the European Commission and in, in, in Brussels, that one thinks that we can do that, that we can substitute the, the reduction. And I never would like to contribute to that. Thank you. Thank you very much for those remarks and a very stark uh, statistic there you give us. Two thirds of a football pitch disappearing every second. I think we will come on to that when we discuss a little bit the international dimension. Uh, let me turn now also to a member of the Environment Committee at the Parliament. Ville, uh, tell us a bit about uh, your, your perspective on this. I mean, I'm sure you're, you're hearing many of the same things as you too. Thank you, and uh, obviously also a pleasure from my side to join you this morning to discuss forest restoration and tree planting and how we can address uh, climate change in a, in a sustainable fashion. Uh, it's also logical to continue after Utah because uh, uh, building on the work on climate law, we will have the climate legislation package and including the Lugosia regulation now in the parliament and, and we will look at how we can increase things uh, and, and also uh, plant trees in a way which, which supports the climate goals and I will be uh, working as the rapporteur for the parliament on, on the Lugosia regulation that was just uh, decided yesterday so this is something I will very much be working on. Uh, I would like to kind of like uh, have a broader picture that some people, uh, when we discuss about forest uh, restoration and, and, and tree planting, for some it seems to be kind of like an accounting exercise only or an engineering feat to be achieved. But it's uh, better to have a broader biodiversity approach. It's, it's the biodiversity loss that we are addressing here as well. Our ecosystems are not in shape and we are losing uh, uh, land uh, and forests still and we are losing species. So that's the very essence of, of what keeps our planet habitable. So it's important that when we uh, talk about climate action and increasing sinks, that we restore forests in a way where we also protect biodiversity. So uh, one of the first things I would like to say in my opening statements is obviously that we need to address deforestation and uh, address the loss of uh, natural old growth pristine forests within Europe, but also globally, as there are very important uh, storages of, of, of things as well. And so we need to start from not doing more harm and then at the same time uh, continuing to, to build on that and increase things and increase uh, restoration where they can be the best results also for biodiversity to be achieved with our, our concerted efforts. So I think what Humberto said, it's about planting the right trees in the right place, but also managing biodiversity in a sustainable fashion. Globally, we are still losing forest areas, as Jutte was saying. EU's consumption is accounted to be responsible for 10% of global forest loss. So this, these are numbers that are, are still quite high and we need to address this. Uh, what we need to do is to make sure that when we now uh, start to plan uh, on, on uh, restoring our forests that we need to do both. We need to do uh, afforestation, proforestation and reforestation. And obviously reforestation as a concept needs, means, means that you need to reforest, that is to plant trees in places where forest is, is the natural historic cover of the area where there's biodiversity background uh, uh, for the area to be reforested. So this is one of the key challenges of the EU's restoration law to direct action in the member states to places where the best gains for biodiversity and also for, for things can be achieved. So uh, all in all, I think uh, to start with, uh, if you look at the uh, global uh, ambition level on climate change mitigation, 
55% to 2030, I think it's certainly achievable for EU, but it's still not uh, uh, enough to keep global warming to 5.5 degrees. So I would like to also say that the reforestation and increasing the sinks is not something that we do to offset or limit the needs to do uh, emission reductions. We need to do both. And in the long term, we are looking at carbon uh, negativity. So we need to take away carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. So that means that the work we do to protect biodiversity and, and do reforestation and, and tree planting should have a 100 years, 200 year cycle. We know that the effects and the gains will be also long term. So we are not just looking 10 years ahead, but we plan ahead to the sustainable future of, of mankind and our planet and, and the ecosystems. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, let me now, Sergi, let's hear from you. The European Environmental Bureau obviously has a great deal of input and thoughts on this. So, so give us your opening thoughts on, on how much we can rely on replanting or, or reforestation. Thank you uh, very much and uh, good morning, everybody. It's a very useful, very timely debate. So uh, European Environmental Bureau is very interested. And thank you very much for inviting us to contribute to this very important debate. Um, we do have a number of opportunities that are currently being discussed on the table. The Vili uh, already mentioned the uh, legally binding targets for restoration. There is the EU forest strategy that is currently being uh, discussed among member states and European Parliament is also expected to express the position. So there are a number of opportunities that the European Green Deal has put on the table and we are in code red. IPCC report has been very, very clear how we need to move to solve both climate and biodiversity crisis at the same time. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the headlines in Financial Times was very much like what NGOs have been saying all these years that we are heading for disaster. Uh, our survival really depends on it. So we really need to solve those two crises at the same time together, biodiversity and climate. And the framing of the debate is already going in that direction. And I was very much, uh, was very happy to hear the points that were made uh, from the European Parliament, from the European Commission, how important it is uh, to do, uh, to, to solve these two crises together in a synergetic way. And that's why uh, looking at the Fit for 55 targets, we really need to make sure that we uh, uh, replant or restore forest that is good as a carbon sink and that is good for biodiversity as well because the forest will only be a carbon sink if it is resilient if it is biodiversity rich uh, in the past we've seen cases where the two policies were looked at uh, separately and that's pretty much left led to false solutions uh, for example planting monocultures uh, for bioenergy which are really uh, not uh, uh, which are detrimental to biodiversity and are really not solving uh, the problem so we really need uh, a building on uh, to really uh, try to solve uh, these two problems at the same time so I think the mantra uh, really remains we need trees it's the best technology we have uh, for uh, mitigating climate change but those need to be the right trees in the right places under the right conditions. Uh, so tree planting is important. Uh, 
but for example the green infrastructure in urban areas will be providing a lot of benefits or the uh, re the re restoration reforestation of forests in the right places that also allow biodiversity gains. Um, I think what, what, what also would be extremely important is, and I think Vili already mentioned this, uh, we also need to protect what we still have. We have a number of old growth, um, we of primary forests. Uh, their, their, their percentage is very low in Europe. We are also losing them. So it's absolutely crucial that those jewels are protected and under strict protection so they don't have um, uh, damaging activities in, 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 in them. Um, and um, I think, yeah, so we really need to use the opportunities of the nature restoration law that is being prepared uh, by the European Commission to really make sure that targets for forest restoration are ambitious. They're definitely coming on top of what's already required under the uh, existing legislation, and that will bring additional benefits. So it will not only bring uh, mitigation benefits, it will help with uh, regulating water, for example. It will also bring benefits for people. It does create jobs. And uh, I know that there was a point made about the green transition also needs to be social transition. That is very true, uh, but we can, you know, there are additional opportunities that will be created from proper restoration, and there are also, uh, you know, that the, the, there are also mechanisms that can compensate uh, for uh, changes. Um, for example, if there is a land that needs to where, where forests need to be restored, so that can be compensation possible as well but that's the only way forward and the science is very very clear we only have 10 years to really shift around so business as usual is really not an option and uh, as i said before it is really about our survival so we need all hands on board for proper restoration of forests uh, and planting trees in the right places under the right conditions Thank you, Sergio. And I'm glad you made the point as well about urban planting, because, of course, we can rely on those green areas in our urban settings as uh, temperature sinks, which are going to be, of course, increasingly necessary. But we will take that as red so that we move on to the, the forest nature for today's debate. Helen, I'm very interested to hear what you have to say um, from the Confederation of European Forest Owners. I suspect you have a, a slightly more nuanced perspective on this. So give us your thoughts, please. Well, first of all, good morning to all, and it's nice to be back after summer break. Also, as was mentioned, it was again a summer break when we have seen climate change happening and not in its best shape. So as mentioned, I'm going to share with you some first thoughts from a forest owner perspective, a European one, uh, on tree planting, on restoration, and how could they work together. Tree planting, as it might uh, not always be obvious, is going beyond forest. Uh, so beyond my own realm, I would say, because it's going to be in forests, in urban area, could be in an agroforestry system. And in all of that, I think we all agree that we need the right species in the right place because they must be well adapted to their context. And this choice must be going away from dogma and be forward looking. Will these trees still be there? in the new climatic conditions that are coming in the future. And also, when we think of tree planting, 
What about the seeds? What about the seedlings? The workforce that will be needed? Who will pay and do we have the materials? And not the least, what about the long-term maintenance? Because tree planting is just the beginning of the story. If you now think about restoration, we have uh, expected for Christmas, uh, the new nature restoration law, which is expected to focus also on forest ecosystem. And for us, the question is really to which forest? And to this answer, we very much hope that it will focus on the forests that are suffering from climate change induced hazard. Would it be pest, wind throw, fire? But also, it's good to keep in mind that not all EU forests uh, need to be restored. Uh, and that that's, needs to be reminded. And now, if we think about restoration and tree planting going together, I would first take a step back and ask you to reflect on where do we do it? And the subsequent question, which is who owns the land where you want to do it? And in that, uh, we really believe that prior and informed consent of the owner is the key to the success, the key to the maintenance of this project. So it's really something that we are very, very keen, but also important to keep in mind in, in this project that there is some uncertainty about the result because a fire might came by, a climate might change enough, a new pest could arise, and you have to be well aware of it. And to conclude and go back to our broader subject about climate change mitigation, uh, do we think that tree planting and forest restoration will be enough to mitigate climate change? From European forest owner, I would say no. But I'm happy to further exchange and develop that later on. Thank you. Thank you much, very much, Helen. Uh, and of course, it is part of an overall solution that we need to find. Sven, last but not least, I'm going to come to you because uh, we're going to talk about the, the Life Terra project. I know the aim is to plant about 500 million trees over five years. So please do tell us a bit more about that and what sort of material difference it's making. Thank you so much, Jennifer, and uh, good morning. Thanks so much for being here and to all the other speakers and Eurective, of course, for organizing. Um, I was supposed to have the privilege of some slides to give you some images of what we're doing and to tell you that Life Terra is actually Europe's largest citizen-driven tree planting project. And we aim to facilitate tree planting in all countries of Europe and reach 500 million trees by 2025. For us, a tree is a symbol for change and climate awareness. And we, just go, and we also go beyond planting. Uh, for example, we're creating an online sustainability course for kids and a network of terror leaders that help us organizing the events. Here in this slide, you see some examples of last year's plantings. Uh, we held almost 80 events in eight countries, which was very challenging uh, due to COVID situation, as you can imagine. One lesson learned is that people love to plant trees and really want to get involved in climate action. And we hope it brings them awareness of also uh, looking at their own behavior and looking at um, lowering some of the impact that they cause. Key factor in Life Terra is tagging. Everyone with a phone can tag the tree he or she just planted. Uh, the species are preloaded for each planting event. You have to choose the right one, and the timestamp and geolocation are then registered in the app. This gives excellent information for the landowner. You can see the dashboard on the right bottom, where uh, he or she will know what was planted where and when, and will help with future monitoring. 
So apart from personal dashboards that you will have as your planter, we're also creating company dashboards because we have a lot of demand now from companies that want to get involved in climate action and make it more real and transparent in close home. In this slide, you see where uh, basically an overview of all the trees planted so far, and you'll be able to zoom in and go to a specific plot. Also future monitoring data on how these trees are performing will be featured in new layers of information in the same platform. Very quickly, what have we achieved in the first year? Uh, I'd say that we're pretty proud of what we did in the first very difficult year because of COVID. Uh, it was very difficult in some countries to operate, but we surpassed all our goals. Um, and to refer back to some of the speakers on biodiversity, uh, it's not in here, but we planted uh, about 100 different species, um, mixed, obviously, adapted to each region. So we're very much going for multi-species uh, rest ecosystem restoration, and I hope thereby contributing to uh, an impulse for biodiversity. Now the challenge is to scale this 10 times the coming season and ensure quality and living up to our motto that you've also heard a couple of times this morning, uh, plant the right tree in the right place. So I look forward to learning from the other participants and from the questions today to help us improve. And um, yeah, if you have a project or a specific technology that can help us of any ideas or money, of course, you're more than welcome to contact us. We'd love to collaborate. We already have a long list of collaborators in Europe and um, we hope to expand it in the coming years. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, Sven, for that introduction to Life Terra. Really useful to have sort of something concrete there as a background. Um, so thank you all now for your opening comments. Um, I would remind the audience that they can use the chat function to ask questions. I know many questions are already coming in there, but also that you can use the hashtag EA debate to share on social media your thoughts, share the comments of our panelists, but also to ask questions and have a discussion as well. Umberto, I'm going to come back to you and ask you about, um, you mentioned forest fires as, as one of the, the big issues. Now, this is something that has, has come up in our chat function with a lot of the uh, audience members concerned about this and wondering about what can be done in terms of managing uh, this problem of deforestation as well as alongside the planting. I know also that Yuta mentioned the, uh, the deforestation of the Amazon. This is a global problem. So what really can Europe do in mitigation? Well, and sticking to forests, because as I said in the beginning, the discussion we are having on forests and replanting is not an alternative to reducing emissions, but is a fundamental component in the climate and biodiversity equation, which really cannot be disentangled and must be tackled, uh, must be tackled together. The first thing we can do as Europe is to preserve our forests and especially the remaining old growth forests and primary forests that we still do have and remember that old growth forests they keep they not only uh, store the carbon they have they keep storing it including in the soil through their activity so they are really assets that we should preserve and we cannot expect other places in the world to do it if we don't do our share on, on that angle. Uh, second, we will also address deforestation, not only within Europe, illegal logging and so forth, and take a look to the new EU forest strategy to see the new impulse towards dealing with forests, but we will also, we will also come with uh, um, initiatives to tackle avoiding deforestation and forest degradation from our imports, which is was expressed in the Green Deal in the biodiversity strategy also, and it's one of the important aspects. So the EU should, as it has done in my view so far, 
lead by example on climate change, lead by example on biodiversity, and for that, surely, forests and tree planting properly conducted is a fundamental element. Thank you, Umberto. Um, I'm going to take a qu another question now from an audience member. Martin Behrens is asking a very, very practical question, which is really how many trees are needed to make a climate impact? Um, let me put that, Sergi, to you. Have you thoughts on, on how do we quantify this question? I, I, it's a very good question, and I think we'll probably, you know, one of the places to try to solve it as well is uh, through the legally binding on uh, nature restoration. Um, as Helen mentioned, the forest is one of the important ecosystems, also because they're so important for biodiversity and climate uh, to be restored. And we've been advocating that 15% of EU's uh, land area and sea area should be uh, under uh, restoration, focusing on the ecosystems that are important for biodiversity and climate, including forests. Uh, however, there, there will need it, it would be difficult to have a top down approach, you would need to look at the particular uh, uh, particular area and see which area used to be forest, where forest could be recreated, restored, re-established, or you can also look at the existing protected areas and restore uh, there, uh, which should come in on top of the obligations that come from the nature legislation. So this, uh, you know, our, our key message both to the European Commission that is currently holding the pen on drafting this proposal, but also to the member states and uh, to the European Parliament, make this law as ambitious as it could be. Again, it would be difficult to, to, to say, uh, you know, the specific area of forest. Member states would need to work it out based on their circumstances, but at least 15% of EU's uh, sea and land area to be restored by 2030, uh, recognizing the urgency. Thank you. Sven, same sort of question to you. I mean, what sort of, what sort of numbers are we talking about in order to see that there is being successfully some sort of mitigation happening? How do we quantify that? How do we actually count it and measure the success in offsetting carbon emissions by tree planting? Well, that's a, that's a very good question, Jennifer. Um, obviously, we're trying to do our bit. We took 500 million as sort of a big number to see if we could plant with one tree for each uh, by each European by 2025 as sort of a, a way to change people's behavior and and uh, do, doing our bit for climate change uh, mitigation. But of course, if you look at that, we might be losing a billion trees per year, uh, globally speaking, then even 3 billion by 2030, uh, which is the objective of the European Commission, is little. So um, I think we just have to plant more and obviously we have to plant it in the right way. But um, if we keep cutting more and if there's more damage due to forest fires, we simply will have to, you know, prevent it on the one hand, but on the other hand, also try to, to restore very fast in order to start balancing somehow uh, the situation in which we are. Thank you. Um Villa and Jutta, a question to you, because, of course, uh, when it comes to drawing up policies in these areas, it's all about setting targets and, and so on. I mean, is there an argument for insisting on a certain level of carbon offsetting to go through reforestation or through replanting? Uh, Villa, perhaps you could go first. 
Okay, yes, I think it's uh, it's important that we set targets and, and goals for this. And uh, obviously, if we look at the numbers, they are quite high that needs to be put into tree planting. Uh, for a forested country like Finland that already currently has an intensive forest industry, that creates both problems and possibilities for um, uh, uh, sustainable uh, forest management and, and, uh, and the environment and, and climate action. Uh, I, I will not go into that uh, deeper, but, but you said that, you know, some of the forest solutions can be substitutes to oil-based solutions, but at the same time, nature and biodiversity is currently hampered and, and still, we, still we have biodiversity loss, even in those countries that, that you know, try to say that we certify our forest use. So, so there's a lot of forests that are being cut every year. And in Finland, we currently already plant 150 million year, uh, trees every year just to replace the, the uh, trees that are being cut. So, so the numbers of reforestation have to be in billions and billions in order to have an effect. But I think what Sergei was saying, I think the right uh, goal here is, is uh, air, uh, going into, into, into aerial goals. So the restoration law should set a percentage target, 15% uh, or even 30% of, of uh, degraded lands in, and, and waters in, in Europe that can be restored into uh, better biodiversity conditions. And then we should look at also at the same time uh, into, like I said earlier, to, to combine the biodiversity policies with the climate policies in the sense that, that we create uh, better ecological corridors between the areas that we, we, which we restore where we plant trees and with the old pristine forest, the old growth forest we still have left for biodiversity and species to be better supported. So there needs to be good coordination at the European level. So that's why the EU restoration law is, is such, such a key thing here, because biodiversity needs to be protected also across the borders. So I think this is uh, something where we uh, also have low-hanging fruits. When I speak with the forest industry or forest owners, we have also in a country like Finland, for example, a huge potential in restoring damaged ecosystems. For example, wetlands. We have uh, drained over 4 million hectares of wetlands for the use of forest industries mainly. And these uh, former wetlands don't create a lot of forest growth because it has been a very unsuccessful policy. This was done in the 50s, 60s, and it, had, it was a big environmental problem. But now, by restoring these lands, the forest owners actually get, compens get compensation. So we should look also incentives to the owners to, to increase things and restore land that they get also funding for it. Uh, and since it's also uh, not uh, uh, productive land for forest industry. Those are the low-hanging fruits. We should also look where we get the maximum result for the environment and, and trees, and minimum effect on the, the uh, or the minimum need to change for the forest industry. So, so there are a lot of those things here, low-hanging fruits that we can achieve. Thank you, uh, Yuta. Um, I'd like you to, to build on that in terms of targets. Uh, we have a question or a comment. Um, Aiga Guasmin is saying, how are countries with little forested areas, for example, the Netherlands and Denmark, going to fulfill the 30% and 10% requirements for land protection? She's asking, is it feasible? I mean, obviously, there are different issues in different member states. Uh, so how do we work with targets to make sure that everyone has the best chance of achieving those targets? Thank you for that important question. First of all, um, I think it is really important that the Commission address this and they promised us uh, to do so. 
because this was actually one of the questions from the European Parliament. Uh, how do we make sure that everyone takes their part of this? Of course, in a way that it's possible for that country, but uh, it would not help the situation if there are some countries who should help other countries not to do their part. And uh, in this case, there are some challenges and that's why the parliament were also making sure that at least we had this minimum of reduction in the target because uh, I want to be a good sport here and not talk about the other institutions in a very negative way uh, because we actually came together in a very fine way in the end but uh, there were some thoughts from the other institutions in this long travel of creating the climate law uh, where I think um, they wanted to be a bit helped by having a carbon sink instead of being very sharp when it comes to the reduction part. And the problem with the sink is, as described, that it looks very different for the 27 different uh, member states. And uh, there are uh, different uh, opportunities for the member states to help out here. Um, the Nordic countries have a better situation and uh, I would say smaller countries with very little forest uh, cannot help out in the same way. Um, so therefore I think it needs to be better addressed uh, also now. And then also uh, another problem that we saw is the unpredictable part of this. It is important to start changing uh, the the reduction of forest, the deforestation also happening in Europe um, and this, um, the fact that this uh, carbon sink is actually decreasing at the moment. So that's very important. But we cannot put our hopes in to have that turn, that change until 2030 completely, uh, because there are many things that's unpredictable, like forest fires, like these kind of insect attacks that not at least Germany has experience of. And I, um, I don't want us to put our uh, future into some hopes. Uh, we need to make sure that we can also deliver. Uh, so these are some question marks and I, I would say uh, we need to compensate for the question marks by also being even sharper when it comes to reduction in all sectors. Thank you. Umberto, let me come to you to, to get your reaction to that. And also uh, Urs Plush has said here uh, on, on, um, on our chat that many large-scale afforestation projects have failed in the past decades because of a lack of maintenance or property rights. And how do we consider the lessons learned from the past? Perhaps you could include that as well. Okay, I actually want to react to some of the topics raised so far. The first one is if we are to preserve climate and biodiversity, namely getting to a reduction of 55%, one thing we do need, which is reductions all over the board, that's why we have this package, the Fit for 55, very ambitious on several grounds, including on increased carbon sinks, land-based carbon sinks. Uh, that's where the LULUCF regulation comes in, already referred. That's where the nature restoration law in preparation comes in, and there are other initiatives in preparation, like a carbon farming initiative that uh, is also synergetic in this context. What I want to refer in any case, it's not one single of these 
pieces that will be the solution. The nature restoration law will be a very important part of it for sure. And we do aim to target the ecosystems, forests and beyond, wetlands is another example, which are carbon rich. In any case, we do want restoration targets that are measurable. It's useless to have a wide target with a nice figure if in the end we cannot measure it in the ground, know, know what is the baseline and know where we are getting that. This would be my first uh, comment. The second comment is on, on land, uh, on protected areas, the 30% target. Uh, of course, we expect all member states to do their share and to have increased protected areas on sea and on land. But of course, we cannot expect the same level of protection of each kind of ecosystem everywhere in each member state because there are biogeographical differences among the member states. So some will have more forests, others will have more wetlands, others may have more marine ecosystems, but we can have more diversity and more carbon sinks all over the board. One well, on the lessons from Basel, one is very clear. We cannot do all these initiatives from tree planting to, to land conservation, uh, to fostering carbon sinks, uh, without uh, proper involvement of all stakeholders and to begin with the landowners. So this is certainly not about doing restoration or tree planting against the will or against the rights of, uh, of landowners. So incentives, funding and proper support will be crucial in all these aspects and we will be coming with appropriate guidelines on several of these issues. Thank you, Umberto. Now, I'm, I'm conscious of time because we have so much to get through and there's so many questions coming in that I'm going to group a few together for uh, Helene and Sven that are perhaps more scientific than uh, policy related. Uh, a very early question, Paul Tenning asks, is there a plant that is more effective than others to capture CO2? Uh, we also have Maya Bartzak saying that there was a role of fungi in carbon sequestration. Perhaps, Helene, you could talk to me a little bit about which sort of species we're talking about here. Well, I'm not going to be really able to answer with you and telling you oak is the solution or spruce is because it really depends where. Um, for those of you who are in Brussels, you might know that we have the big soil forest with beech tree. On the long run, they're going to disappear. It's getting too warm. So they were the optimum. They won't be. And they are working to change into three species. And this is very local. Um, and in Finland or in Sweden, or it would be in the Netherlands or in Spain, this optimum tree will really depend and it was going to be on context. So therefore there is a need to go um, to the root and avoid this top-down approach and saying, this is uh, the golden key, this is the silver bullet uh, for tree planting. And on that, I think it's really interesting to have this multi-species approach that uh, Sven mentioned. And also like today is really focused on, on trees and forest, but forest, are going way beyond the tree that they host. Uh, there is a whole ecosystem altogether behind, which is contributing to that. And forests are not the only ecosystem we have. Uh, so, and in it, we can have yeah, algae and so on that also will contribute to the discussion. 
Thank you. Sven, another question we've got here is, is there a geographic preference for where trees should be planted to have the highest impact in terms of CO2 capture? And do we have the space to plant as many trees that are needed? That was a question from Martin Behrens. And then there was also other comments that perhaps there was arguments for uh, tree planting on agricultural land in copses where grazing animals may actually help the, uh, the reforestation of certain parts of agricultural land. So Sven, perhaps you could tackle those questions about where, since Helene has tackled the what? Yeah, so very good questions. Um, very quickly, coming back to what Umberto uh, talked about, the involvement of landowners. For each project, we make an agreement with the landowner in which Life Terra provides the trees and the planting capacity, and sometimes even the protectors. And in exchange, the landowner commits to maintenance and not cutting that tree for at least 40 years and hopefully never. So that in that way, we hope to increase maintenance. With regard to um, soil and um, let's say soil biology. So obviously if you plant a tree in Germany in a very rich forest, former forest soil, it's very different than you try to do that in Murcia where you have almost deserted um, uh, land. So in that case, in, in Spain, for example, we try to add a mix of mycorrhizae and soil bacteria to regenerate and re-kickstart that soil life uh, in order to have more chance of, of survival. And so coming back to the question, where do you get the most uh, impact? Well, that's, that's of course, we, we could plant all of the Nordic countries because for sure we have a high level of survival, but I think we need also a lot of trees in the south of Europe, good trees and uh, that create shadow, that can um, act as a barrier for erosion, that can help to restore the water table. So we have no preference, we say, if you participate in Life Terra, you participate in the European carbon mix, and one tree might grow faster in Sweden versus the one in Murcia. But uh, in the end, you, it's a sort of a democratic and, and, and a joint project with a common European spirit. It's also financed by the Life Programme, and therefore uh, um, we, we go on averages that sort of help to restore uh, everywhere in Europe uh, different patches. And then the last question on agricultural land. Yes, we very much uh, are aligned with farmers that want to transition to more sustainable agriculture practices. So, for example, uh, people that want to switch to agroforestry, we can help them with trees. And that, of course, has multiple benefits, as was already mentioned. And we even have planted uh, or contributed to planting two small food forests. And we hope to, that's sort of a very intense way of um, uh, carbon mitigation and uh, provisioning of, of food and, and other sources and that we hope to expand as well in the coming years. So I think it's sort of uh, like some of the speakers already said, it's end, 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 end. You know, we, we're trying to do uh, as much as we can in all the different places, uh, obviously adopting to the local circumstances. Thank you, Jutta. I think you wanted to uh, jump in on that as well, please. Yes, I find it uh, very good and interesting to, to listen to the others when it comes to uh, how how to do it and, and which trees are the best and so on. And I think Life Terra seems to be a very good uh, project that can help out and hopefully we can have many good examples like that. Um, and that said, I think also we need to talk about um, helping the industry uh, to develop best examples in Europe and learn from those who plant more trees. So we don't get into a system where we say that those who have the best models to replant, uh, they, they should do even more, uh, but those who doesn't do it, uh, there we uh, only 
trust in projects or support systems. I mean, we need a sustainable economic model that works in uh, also for the future and that is not uh, uh, relying on uh, some help at this moment, but it's actually something that could be also sustainable um, in, in a decade and even longer uh, in the future. And that is, that is something that needs to be in cooperation with the industry. It cannot be an economic model that people who don't know how, how it works in reality is working in the commission on this. Uh, that would not help to create that sustainability. One thing is that trees have a life cycle and people who work with that, they know the life cycle uh, in, uh, in different countries. And it's very different in the Nordic countries than in the South. A tree will not grow as fast in the Nordic countries, but yet it can be very, very important to capture CO2 emissions. But then we also need to know that in the end of the life cycle, it will capture less. Uh, so it will not be better if it lives forever. Um, but then, of course, it's the species uh, that is important. When we have in the world one third that will disappear at this moment, that there is an extension that can happen and uh, will hurt three one third of every species, uh, tree species in the world. That is a, a big problem for biodiversity. And maybe that's another part of this discussion uh, where we need to have other ways of thinking, but it needs to be in connection to the, to the debate on climate and how to create a sustainable economic uh, model together with industry, not on the, over the head of the industry, but in a good dialogue. I believe that's the only way as it is today i think the debate is a bit here we have the industry sometimes and here we have the political debate and it's so divided and it's it becomes more and more extreme in the two different angles and it needs to connect better thank you thank you very much indeed one of our, our uh, audience members was actually echoing those thoughts in a question saying clara Ueno is saying we need a money and a business model to work with us rather than just uh, policy incentives uh villa let me uh, turn that to you i mean um how do we move this at pace um if we want to achieve it because although there are great targets i mean many people would argue that we're already behind the curve yes that's that's the right question and we need to create a very fast incentives for landowners to, to start increasing their sinks and start to restore forests and, and there should be a, a, a funding scheme also here involved and I think uh, the Commission proposes already in the Lulu CF regulation the use uh, uh, carbon farming initiative is, is, is part of the approach and, and we are looking at, the, at, at the going to the certification system and maybe in the long term if we have ETS for emission trading uh, why not have something that uh, uh, compensates or finances sinks, uh, kind of a sink trading scheme or something like that in the long term? This is something we need to look at. But it's very important to, you know, make sure that those solutions where we push for, for financing for, for restoration and increasing of tree planting, that they are not uh, double accounting or not uh, offsetting or replacing emission uh, reductions so we need to be sure that the regulation is good in that that's way but i would like to also say that the, from the earlier discussions that i think it's important to realize also that tree planting is needed all around europe all member states need to be involved this is also a global challenge 
the local conditions vary. In some places, it's actually a big uh, part of the uh, climate adaptation uh, uh, struggle uh, to address uh, flooding. Forestation is a way of, you know, keeping uh, uh, flooding uh, in the lower levels. So, so with, with restoring uh, biodiversity and restoring forests, we can actually uh, lower the risk uh, related to uh, climate change. And also in countries like Spain, we can address erosion and, and desertification. So I think it's important that tree planting takes into account the biodiversity needs and the ecosystem needs of the country where you are you are implementing the policies. And I think uh, uh, projects like Lifeterra are, are looking at this, and it's important that they do it. And, and also uh, agroforestry and, and farmers are very important to be involved here. Yeah, I would just like to say that it's important that we don't just look agricultural sector separately and forest sector separately because it's important that also agriculture uh, addresses its uh, emissions and increases its sinks. So we need to look at place, ways of also giving funding via the agricultural system to increasing also forestation and, and planting trees. That's a place where we already have a lot of money, but it's not directed to increasing sinks. So a lot of things can be, can be achieved. Final comment I would like to also say that I agree with a lot of things that Jutte is saying, but as an environmentalist and former environment minister of Finland, I have to say that this, this language that forest industry says that it's, it's good for things to cut trees is not really true. I know that we need forest industry. I know a lot of the, project, uh, the products that they have are needed, and especially if they bind the uh, carbon for a longer term, then it's uh, a sustainable product to replace uh, fossil fuels. But we know that old forests, for example, in Nordic conditions, even dead forests, decaying uh, deep trees, uh, dead trees, can keep the sink uh, or the storage of the carbon for hundreds of years. With, with new scientific research, we've heard that the, the, the sink stays there uh, or the storage of carbon stays there for hundreds of years. So it's important that we realize that cutting down trees is never an answer to, to increasing things. We just need to balance the use of trees and have more long-term products in forest industry and, and then increasing uh, also reforestation and afforestation. Thank you, Vila. I want to bring Uslam, I want to bring you in now eventually. We have talked a, a lot about the, um, the environmental side and we've talked a lot about policy and, and you know, the nitty gritty of replanting uh, or in, in upgrading existing forests. Um, but I want to talk to you about the social dimension because this has been, I think, one of the themes that has come through that this is not an either or, this has got to be tackled in a holistic way. So can you give me your thoughts on the policies and regulations that would help? So for European trade union uh, movement, uh, reforestation um, should remain of the highest um, priority and should be supported and coordinated by EU programs uh, with combined policies. Uh, special attention uh, should be given to maintain and improve uh, the capacity of forests uh, to adapt to climate change. Uh, and um, EU policy makers should pay more attention to sustainable forest management, um, preserve primary forest and invest uh, in better forest fire prevention. Um, enhanced uh, coordination, uh, <coughs> sorry, backed by adequate uh, financial resources um, and with a focus 
uh, on training, better surveillance and uh, better disposability, increase of emergency is needed to fight the growing tendency uh, of large forest fires. Um, to develop new sustainable and multifunctional um, plantation forests, economic uh, policy measures focused on increasing uh, the efficiency of timber supply should be complemented uh, with well-targeted measures to preserve forests and conserve their biodiversity, landscape and social values. Thank you very much uh, for your insight there. Uh, Sergi, let me come back to you because we've had uh, some very specific questions regarding the sort of maintenance, if you like, of existing forests. And how do we balance between new planting and restoration? Thank you. Um, I think, well, when it comes to tree planting, uh, one key point, and uh, maybe Sven can, can contribute as well, I think the what I really liked about the uh, Life Terror project that's been presented is its community-led element. So I think that's, well, you know, just as a, as a quick addition to the previous discussion, uh, where it, it's one other element that would be really, really important about, you know, planting the right trees in the right places, that it is done together with the local community. It is community driven. So I, um, I again, I, I think that would be crucial. And I'll, I'll let Sven maybe add a little bit later to this. On, on, on your specific question, Jennifer, I think it is important that we manage forests better and there is uh, there are good examples in the uh, in a number of uh, member states where we have closer to nature forest management where there are benefits for both biodiversity and also for uh, the important products that that forest provides what we need to make sure as well that we really don't uh, focus on uh, uh, one-sided solutions and i did bring the case of bio biofuels before i'd like to repeat it again i think if you're only starting uh, from um, uh, just uh, mitigating climate and you disregard the uh, impacts on biodiversity and ecosystems it is a false solution because then biodiversity suffers the uh, water is polluted from pesticides and fertilizers. The area around is uh, losing all those important ecosystem services that it, it and benefits that it provides. So what, what, moving forward, what is really important is that we realize that our forests are in dire state. We cannot just maintain doing uh, things the way we've been doing them. And a change is needed, a transformation is needed, both in how forests are managed using closer to nature forestry approaches, but also uh, changing some of the policy frameworks that encourage false solutions. So uh, when the Fit for 55 package is being discussed, uh, putting the sustainability criteria for uh, bioenergy bio is absolutely crucial. Thank you. Um, Hélène, I wanted to talk to you again um, with regard to uh, forest fires. We've had a, a very specific question coming in um, asking whether or not that should be replanted immediately or whether the, the land should, with the same with the same species or whether it should be left to recover naturally. Um, just a perspective on that. It's a very specific question, but I think you might be best placed to answer it. 
Well, I'm going to answer more or less the same as when of the species discussion, it really depends where and it depends what type of fire, what was the size. If you have a massive forest fire in Portugal or in northern Sweden, well, your available species, like the, the tree species which are able to grow, are obviously going to be very different. And would you say that you want to change the species? It means that you need to plant it. And if you need to plant, you need to have the money. And that's why uh, it goes back to a funding question. And this Life Terra initiative is quite interesting in the sense that it provides with uh, the financial means for the, the planting. But this is also something to reflect upon. Uh, and uh, so it's really going to depend what type of forest was there. Um, will uh, the tree species uh, be meaningful to stay because did they burn for a specific reason? What is the context? What is also just, if you think of it, the ownership size? Uh, if you take Portugal, there is a lot of private owner, but a lot of very small scale um, forest owner. And forests fire, they don't care about boundaries that humans have put. So it will just come and wipe out. And so if you say, okay, we are going to replant, it really depends for every of this person, of this family, what they want to do, what they can financially do, uh, what is relevant for that. So it's, a, again, like a, an in-between scenario. I would be for um, definitely like uh, going ahead, but it really depends of what do you want to do and what is a meaningful species to be put there. Is it adapted? How will it go on the long run with this climate change perspective? And also something which hasn't been mentioned so far so much, I think it's also, okay, we, what we plant, uh, is it suitable? Is it locally adapted? Will it grow well? But do we want to produce something with it? And it's also something to take into account because not all tree species are equal when it comes to uh, their potential use. So it's also like if you want, if you want specific type of timber because you want to build more in uh, wood-based material, you need specific type of species. So this also has to be reflected in taking the big picture regarding to that question. Thank you. And I think you're feeding back into some of those ideas we discussed earlier about the need for an economic model as well to drive change. Uh, Humberto, I want to come back to you. I think you wanted to comment on forest fires. And I've also got a couple of follow up questions for you as well. Yeah, let's, let me. I do want to uh, uh, tackle forest fires. I happen to be Portuguese. I've seen the devastating fires of 2017 and this summer elsewhere in Europe. I've seen the same things happening. So that does uh, involve some reflection on related with trees. Uh, first, uh, let me say there's of course a difference between tree planting and restoration. Tree planting can help restoration, but much of the tree planting we need, as others have said, is in urban context, in agroforestry. And uh, I just remind the potential in agroforestry is immense, including for productive purposes. So I do hope the member states in their cap strategic plans do tackle agroforestry properly. Now, on trees, as Helen said, not all trees are equal in terms of their productivity, but they are also not all equal in terms of the way they react to forest fires. We don't have unburnable trees for sure, but we do have some tree populations and some tree species that have evolved 
to resist fire. It happens, for instance, cork, I used to say, is a product of evolution to resist fire from the cork oak tree. So I don't mean we need cork oak trees everywhere, but often after a fire, we do need to restore something different than before, which may imply replanting, may also imply just removing the exotic invasive land species prevailing after the fire and allowing the natural regeneration to come. But it also involves restoring a viable ecosystem, including in its faunal element. We know more and more that uh, large herbivores can help through their own activity on preventing forest fires and all this restoration and can assure you is not only much cheaper than forest fire fighting, it's also the only approach when the mega fires come. We cannot tackle them through uh, suppression. We need to tackle them through prevention. And that means a proper ecosystem management. Thank you. I see a lot of nodding heads there as well. Um, Susanna Calio is asking actually Umberto about how this sort of thing will be quantified. Uh, she says the commission announced planting of additional trees. Will restoration action of existing forests with tree planting be accounted for that in addition or as part of it? Well, let me first explain where the three billion trees comes, this pledge to plant uh, three billion trees is we had estimates that uh, indicated that within a decade we could expect normally three billion trees to come in and we want three billion additional trees to come in. So this is different from the nature restoration law. In the nature restoration law, still in preparation, we uh, intend to come with proposed targets for specific ecosystems, notably the carbon rich, as I said, including forests, for member states to develop their own national plans of restoration and come up with the proper restoration. Tree planting can be linked with the restoration or not. It just depends. It depends on the ecosystem. It depends if, if the natural regeneration does the job for you, which is less expensive. In some cases, it may require some active planting. But as I said, these 3 billion trees, as Life Terra is also doing, do aim very much to be planted on the places where the win-wins are the most. A good example being urban context. And Umberto, before I let you off the hook, I have another question for you. This one from Angela Esteban, who is asking, is it likely in the near future that the carbon removal certificate mechanism will be part of the EU emissions trading scheme so that industrial sectors will promote forest restoration activities? Uh, she's saying that this would be a good way to uh, achieve the, the 2030 targets. Uh, what, is the, what is your assessment of the likelihood of that? Well, I can give you just a, a personal assessment. I don't have direct responsibility on that. But as Vila also referred, that's an avenue that's being uh, looked into, having ways to make the uh, effective removal by, by trees count also in terms of certificates. So I cannot say when or, uh, or if, but as, as an interested citizen, if you want, I wouldn't be surprised that within uh, some time, something like that could emerge for proper compensation of uh, preserving the forests. Thank you very much. Um, we have a good question now from Anne-Sophie Henningsen from Forests of the World, who is asking, how do we avoid that forests and tree planting just become an excuse for inaction in other sectors? It's uh, provocative and quite a good question. So I think probably directed at 
most of the panelists. But uh, Yuta, let me uh, let me put it to you. Yeah, I think this question is really important uh, because um, we have on one side, it is extremely important that we change uh, the deforestation that we see in the world, but also in Europe, and that we can get a bigger uh, carbon sink uh, for 2030 than, uh, than the trends are now, because we are actually moving in the wrong direction. So this is extremely important, and I endorse uh, the European Commission's proposal on the 3 billion uh, trees that will be planted extra. I think this is really uh, something historical and important. On the other hand, uh, I think uh, maybe not uh, with intention, but in the, in the debate, um, um, I think some rely on uh, the carbon sink as an excuse not to do more with reduction. And that's exactly your question. And, um, I would say what we can do is that all the institutions negotiating the, uh, the climate package, the Fit for 55 or 57, that I would like to say, because uh, that's actually the promise from the Commission, that we would go even further. Um, I think in the negotiation here, we need to understand that the climate law is the absolute minimum. We need to actually do more. We need to uh, make sure that the sectorial legislation over um, pr um, over uh, uh, is having a better um, uh, targets and that they uh, are are over exceeding the target uh, for their own part, so that we actually accomplish more to 2030. And I think the IPCC report that we have this summer which showed alarmingly uh, new results where we are going, where the planet is going, if we don't turn this and do more. And the 10-year the we have ahead of us is actually extremely important because uh, in this report they say we will not uh, be able to fulfill the Paris Agreement and the 1.5 we will actually uh, go over in 13 years if we don't change dramatically. So I think the answer to your question is that we need to do more in the sectorial legislation with the reduction targets. And that's the only way. Thank you. Um, Sergi, I would like to uh, come back to you um, to ask quite a broad question. Jerry Lawson has asked, uh, what should be in the carbon farming initiative when it's announced by DG Climate in November? What would you like to see or have you any aspirations from what you would like to see uh, in the coming months? Yeah, um, on, 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 uh, speaking, uh, wearing my EEB hat on, uh, we do welcome the development of the carbon initiative. I think it's, it's very, very important uh, that agricultural sector, it, it also very much in light with what Jutta was just saying, that different sectors and different sectoral regulation really pushes uh, the ambitious uh, uh, target achievement. And we, we believe the, the, the target is insufficient. It needs to be even uh, much beyond what's currently being agreed if we are uh, to, to, to achieve uh, Paris Agreement and, and, and really heed the the, the warnings that science is telling us. So I think it, 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 it's important that agricultural sector is uh, fully contributing and uh, reducing uh, and, and is helping also to, to mitigate. Uh, so we, we actually would like to see 
good elements in the initiative, including uh, certification that really provide the right uh, incentives and the right rules for the agricultural sector to really fully uh, contribute uh, to mitigation efforts as part of this cross-sectoral approach. Thank you. Uh, Sven, I'm going to come to you uh, a quick question just in from Ragnar Johnson, uh, is saying that uh, even disregarding the need for a transition to a bioeconomy, if forests are left unmanaged, at some points they turn from a carbon sink into a carbon source. Um, management of forests going forward is obviously got to be on the agenda as well as just planting. Um, how do you marry the two together? How do you get that management level in from the very beginning? Uh, that's a, again an interesting question, uh, probably more, more relevant for Helene in this case because she's actually working on behalf of the owners. We collaborate with the owners, so it is really uh, up to them really um, to see what they, what they do with it. Of course, we, have, we work with forest owners, with farmers, with city councils or with um, provincial authorities that want to restore pieces of nature. We always um, have said that um, in the future, if should we make a profit on, in the foundation, at least 10% of that will be reserved for future maintenance and particularly forest fire prevention. So as you might know, uh, particularly in the Southern European countries, I think 90% of the fires, they start in the first 100 meters of people throwing a cigarette or uh, somebody doing a barbecue or, you know, in summertime. So it's very important to keep that first 50, 100 meters clean and uh, take out the combustible. So I think that in the long term, uh, properly managed those zones around forests can have an important effect on preventing forest fires. Uh, I wanted to come back very shortly to, um, to a comment that Sergi made earlier on community and the importance of community and citizens participating. And uh, I think that's vital. We, I've been planting trees for 12, 13 years here in Spain. And every time that we involve people and, and they become enthusiastic about it, and now thanks to the app, I'm just showing you, you here, Hope you can see that well. Um, when you see that the trees that you have planted, even though they're not yours physically, I mean, you have planted them, you've contributed to it, you create a sense of uh, co-ownership and that you contributed to something worthwhile. And that I think will help on the one hand, uh, people uh, joining and rejoining and becoming more aware of the issues. On the other hand, it also builds some pressure on the landowner to really maintain those trees and ensure that it becomes a success because these people might come back and we'll also be monitoring those plantings. So um, uh, that, that, that's important. Then something Helen said very interesting on the economic benefits for landowners in the long run and uh, particularly long-term resiliency. And I think uh, it's there very interesting to mention a project that we did, uh, uh, what we call Klimawald, so our first climate forest that we did in, in Germany, 25 hectares to test species that are uh, in principle much more resilient to climate change species that thrive in certain conditions with much less rain, but can withstand cold winters. And we're doing that to test how these trees are performing. And I think we are looking at Life Terra too. I mean, you saw all our goals, but we're also looking at how can we increase the uh, effectiveness and the long-term performance of these trees in 20, 30, 50 years. So therefore, I think we are, it's good that we test these species that come from more Southern provenance and see if they make both ecological and economic sense for the landowners. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sven. We will get the details of where people can find that app in the chat before we wrap up in 10 minutes so people can click on that straight away. So keep an eye on the chat if you're following along online. 
I think at this point, since we do just have 10 minutes left, we're going to go for some quite quick uh, round of, of thoughts to close. Um, so I would like just a, a couple of words from each of you. Um, how confident are you that the EU will achieve its target to cut carbon emissions by at least 55% by 2030? And what role, medium, large, small, will uh, tree planting and reforestation play in that? Umberto, no doubt you are very confident. I am very confident on two grounds. And the first ground is the, the package of initiatives, uh, legal initiatives, uh, not only, that were presented, which make the EU the most advanced bloc in the world in terms of climate policy. And I think that is very reassuring also the political support that it has obtained so far and will um, continue to obtain. But my main uh, reason for confidence is in a nutshell public opinion when i've seen and we see continuously the climate impacts coming to europe floods forest fires elsewhere than europe a bit everywhere we are seeing live now directly every day the consequences of climate change and further than climate change the consequences of mismanagement of nature and biodiversity because the floods don't come only from on climate change, they are exacerbated on bad conditions that pre-exist, as do forest fires. And this has an emotional impact in people that make most of public opinion require action. And that's the best assurance for politics to move and keep moving. So in a nutshell, I think we do have the Green Deal. We will certainly have a follow-up of the Green Deal, which will not be less ambitious. Thank you. Aslam, I, I cannot see you there. Sorry, so I'm going to go straight to Yuta. Uh, how confident are you in the EU's ability to achieve its targets in time? I am confident that we will uh, deliver on the climate law, but I want us to do more. And I think IPCC report this summer show that there is a necessity to do more to 2030. So I would like the sectorial legislation to actually over uh, um, have a better um, uh, what do you say in English um, um, work better <laughs> this is not the word I was looking for uh, the sectorial legislation needs to to be even better than the climate law and that's the big thing I think that there cannot be a watering out every time we negotiate it needs to this time we need to make sure that we have the the best ambition will also survive the negotiations uh, and that is uh, what I would like to say. But I also like to conclude by saying that I really think that we should also use um, the best techniques and the best models, sustainable models uh, in our different member states to do what we can do to, to have a better carbon sink. And the forest plays an enormous important role there. But we need to know what we are doing on the ground. And we need to know, as many have pointed out in this debate, that it's different in different countries, in different uh, climate zones in Europe, and therefore we need to work differently. And above all, we need to have a model that will survive the future. So it needs to be in cooperation also with the industry. And I think uh, the best way is actually to take the best parts from the Commission of Ambition and then the best techniques from the industry and make sure we work together for the future, then it will be sustainable. Okay. Thank you very much, Jutta. Vila, uh, your final question, same thing to you. How confident are you in our ability to achieve the target set? 
Uh, on that, I'm rather confident, and I have to also applaud the Commission. I've been uh, doing environmental politics for 20 years, and this is the first Commission and the first ambition from uh, any government or, or, uh, or an, an international body at this level in addressing climate change and biodiversity at the same time. So, so that we realize that, that sustainable economy in the long term is only possible by protecting the existing nature, restoring nature and, and valuing nature and, and, and increasing the sinks and, and uh, addressing climate change in a way where we also, also see the, the value of the ecosystems uh, uh, close to us. And here, I think it's important that in all sectorial legislation that we do, like you said, that we take into account the, the whole picture. And I think we are closer to that than we have been in the, in the past 20 years. I mean, we've had tries at doing, doing this, uh, reversing the loss of biodiversity, reversing uh, uh, climate emissions, but now for the first time we realize that we need to build a sustainable economy as a whole, not just, you know, with one hand protect and the other hand continue business as usual. And I think this is a big, big business case, so we need to really involve also the, the sectors that, that are on the economic side of this, this the landowners that in the long term this is something that will also protect their livelihood, their future income, if we do this sustainably. So I, I am positive that we will achieve the targets we have set, whether that's still enough to, to protect biodiversity and address climate change. Maybe we need to add up uh, on that, but at least we are on the right path, maybe for the first time in, in, in the last decades. Thank you. And Sergi, to you now and your, your final thoughts, um, focusing on what you think is achievable uh, by 2030. Sure, thank you very much, Jennifer. I do want to be confident because we need, you know, failure is really not an option. It, we are talking about this, our survival. So I really think it's important. And there are, you know, as other previous speakers mentioned, there are some new elements there. The science is very, very clear. We know how dire the situation is and what we need to do. We have the support of the citizens. We have amazing youths that, are, that really care about their future and are really pushing very strongly for political will. We have some political will, at least on the rhetoric level, that uh, is sort of pushing uh, towards the Green Deal objectives and really longer term future also for those economic sectors because they don't have the future if the ecosystem and the nature system collapses and the climate system collapses. So I think the realization of this longer term is still there. So there are some elements that do make me confident that we know it's possible, we know it needs to be done. However, we do know that old habits die very, very hard. We have seen that with the reform of the common agricultural policy, where all these elements were there as well. And nevertheless, it was really the interest, the short-term interests of the vested interests that really prevailed. And uh, the, the, the policy is very much remaining the same, not Green Deal uh, compliant. So I think what 
what what is really really important is that we recognize those positive elements that are going for uh, fit for 55 and the need to achieve the uh, mitigation objectives and biodiversity objectives through restoration and uh, uh, tree planting in the right places with the right tree species there are things going for that and we really need sort of all hands on deck to really make that happen across the stakeholders with the incentives with the proper policy framework uh, because as i said you know we, we really have 10 years and failure is not an option thank you helen uh, your final thoughts briefly uh sergi says it can't just be business as usual what do you think well i would say that um ambition as great as it is is not sufficient uh, we need to see how it's happened in real life and in reality and how the support which everybody has been talking about is going to happen. Uh, the CEP, for example, was mentioned several times. At the moment, I hear that the CEP is going to solve many, many problems and we all know that uh, the financial cake got smaller, but we are more and more uh, people around it. So this is not going to be sufficient. Other options will have to be considered. Humberto mentioned that there is a foreseen financial benefit that will come around restoration and so on, but will this come up to the owner? If you have a really nice tourism that is uh, going on, maybe as the owner of the forest, you're not going to be the one benefiting out of it. So it's something that I'd like to keep in mind and bear in mind. And with regard to the upcoming 10 years and really focusing on the contribution of tree, I'd like to stress that 10 years in the life of a tree, that's nothing. We're speaking in a very different time scale. And that's why it's really important to keep in mind that mitigation is not going to be done solely based on sustainable forest management. Um, reducing fossil emission is essential across sector. And obviously the forest sector will contribute, will also provide an alternative uh, and to this fossil fuel material, but to keep in mind, and at the end of the day, as mentioned in the intro statement, a success story is only going to be happening with motivated and committed owner, the one that you have been respecting and involving from the very first day that you considered their land for your project. Thank you, Alain. And Sven, since we unfortunately lost uh, Islam due to technical problems, the final word goes to you. So you've got one minute before we're due to wrap up for your closing thoughts. <laughs> I want to echo the words of uh, Sergi that uh, failure is not an option and uh, I'm an optimistic guy by, by nature so that helps and uh, we, we're going to do and try our bits to, to get to those 500 million but I also very much agree with Helen again on the need to involve landowners and reward them for their ecosystem services that they're providing not only the wood but so many other things related to that so if Europe can come around to that and say let's not leave that to the member states but make a framework to reward them uh, I, I see it um, clear in, in together with reduction. On the other hand, a lot of um, creating a lot of carbon sinks and green infrastructure. Uh, we are now uh, available in um, or active in eight countries. We're going to add Czech Republic and Malta this year. Uh, if you're around this this coming planting season and you'd like to to join, please check liveterra.eu for the upcoming agenda, and you're more than welcome to join us. Thanks. 
Thank you very much, Sven, and indeed thank you to Life Terra for helping to support today's debate. Uh, Panelists, you were excellent. You've learned a lot. I've learned a lot rather during the, this last hour and a half, and I think our audience has as well, judging by some of the great comments and questions we've had coming in. Unfortunately, we didn't have time to tackle all of those questions. When do we ever? Time is always short. Uh, and indeed, in tackling climate change, time is equally short. So please do continue the conversation online. Share the videos with your friends, share the videos with your colleagues, and do keep following EA Debates for more. Your active updates on this and other important topics. And have a great day.